0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, so here's your question to start off the program today. Across Canada, all the NHL teams, who's happy? That's right, just Vancouver. And they'll face off against Edmonton tonight. One of a couple of games on the go around the NHL this evening. We'll focus a lot on today's schedule, have a look back at the weekend that was, that brought more questions and concerns for Canadian NHL teams than anything else. Edmonton, we're looking your direction. The two Ontario teams as well. Uh, The San Jose Sharks continue to spiral into irrelevancy. Back to back, they surrender 10 goal games. Something, according to our good friends at Sportsnet Stats, has not happened going back to 1965 and the Boston Bruins. As a matter of fact... Just for a little bit of spice in the chili here for the San Jose Sharks. Not to throw salt onto an open wound here, but here we go one more time. After 11 games, they're a dash 43 goal differential. After 11 games, they're a dash 43. That is the worst in the history of the National Hockey League. And I don't think I need to remind you, since you listen slash watch a show like this, you already know this. That stretches back to 1917. What we're seeing from the San Jose Sharks is an historic bad start. What we're seeing from the Edmonton Oilers, one of the NHL markets in Canada that is completely on fire. What we're seeing from them is a start that we didn't expect whatsoever. There were many who said Stanley Cup or bust. We were one of them. Elliot and I went to Edmonton and the mantra around the team was from player to player to player to coach to executive to who knows was Stanley Cup or bust. Well, now they're in a situation where they'll face off against the Vancouver Canucks tonight. I can't wait to see this game. Vancouver has hit a stride early. Edmonton, not so much. A number of questions about the goaltending. And when there's questions about a team's goaltending, there's always questions about the coach. You've heard the old expression, show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach. Uh, that is very true. And that's why it's uh, it's real tough for the Edmonton Oilers bench boss to sit through this. And what makes it even tougher is goaltending is the one position that a head coach has like zero control over. Like I was saying this on the podcast that came out this morning. It must be endlessly frustrating to be Jay Woodcroft right now knowing that. You have a real problem in net with your two goaltenders, and that is the area you have, the other than choosing who starts, that is the one area that you have the least amount of control over, yet that area is in complete control of your fate. Fair? No. Hockey? Yes. Ned Harkness said in the 70s, we should change the name of the sport from hockey to goaltender because that's what it all comes down to at the end. Uh, what's the old saying? If you have a goaltender, it's 70% of your team. If you don't, it's 100 Ask the Edmonton Oilers if they believe that little saying about goaltenders. We're going to get into Edmonton. They'll face off against Vancouver tonight. Oh, by the way, if, um, if you're a fan of cheering for chaos, and who isn't, really? It's the beginning of the season. Let's just have some, have some fun here with some NHL teams. Um, if you're a fan of chaos, you are watching Thursday. Thursday has the potential, as we kick off this week, to be the most chaotic day of the early season. And it's all about one game. It's all about one game on Thursday. If things break a certain way, it's all about one game. Because on Thursday, and you can watch this one on Sportsnet West, the Edmonton Oilers face off against the San Jose Sharks. And if things go a certain way all week long leading up to that game... And there's a certain outcome in that game. It could be more painful than it already is for everybody in Edmonton. We'll see. We still have to get to Thursday. Let's just get there. Okay? Let's just try to remain a little bit calm and poised and non-irrational about everything. Let's just get to Thursday to see that Edmonton-San Jose game. Yes, I'm getting excited about a game involving two really bad teams right now. One of which, as I mentioned, is historically bad. Speaking of bad, we'll get into the Toronto Maple Leafs here in a couple of moments as well. Elliot Friedman's gonna stop by an hour or two. He's at the Maple Leafs Tampa Skate this morning slash this afternoon. So Elliot is gonna push to one o'clock uh, Eastern this afternoon. He'll kick off hour two. Uh, and there's a lot of grist for the mill for this one. We should get into the Ottawa Senators' situation. Uh, Brady Kachuk, um, you know, playing sword and shield for the Ottawa Senators, jumping in front of DJ Smith as the howls for fire DJ were ringing through the arena uh, on Saturday after the Ottawa Senators drop another one and now find themselves in the basement of the Atlantic. was not supposed to go this way, I assure you. Michael and Lauer didn't budget for this, didn't expect this. But then again, you can say that Michael Landlauer didn't expect the punishment for off to be as severe as uh, it turned out to be and probably didn't expect the, well, Shane Pinto situation as well. It's been a few weeks here of surprises, let's just say, for Michael Landlauer and the Ottawa Senators. A lot to get into on today's program. Not all of it positive. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a pretty negative-sounding show as well. Uh, it's a lot of what's gone wrong with all of these teams, as opposed to focusing on the positive. And maybe we'll kick that off with Matt Marchese here. Cassie Campbell-Pascal stopping by in about 10 minutes' time. Jim Fox, I mentioned Elliot and Phil Thompson as well is going to stop by in hour two. Um, maybe we'll start with the positive story. Break up the Anaheim Ducks, because Matt Marchese, they cannot stop winning and whether it's your frank Vitrano um whether it's uh your lucas Dostal, or in yesterday's case john gibson uh beating the vegas golden knights handing them their first regulation loss fourth line sam carrick uh pitching in and doing some some great work for the uh, for the anaheim ducks there's a lot of great stories around anaheim right now zegras terry etc go right down the list leo carlson mixing in well uh, this has been a really good news story and a really unexpected story. And San Jose's probably looking at that and saying, hey, we're going through a rebuild too. How come we can't be like the Anaheim Ducks here? Uh, let's kick off with a positive story. How are you feeling about Quack right now, Maddie? Well, oh, wow. That was a good one. Um, I mean, thanks. Un, to,
2: like you said, totally unexpected. I thought maybe they hover around 500, and I thought that was generous. Uh, but no, uh, they've won six in a row, and they've set the NHL record for fastest team in NHL history to post five third-period comeback wins in a season. They've done it in 11 games. That is a
1: record. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the way that they're doing it. And Hang maybe, on. Hang yeah, on. Yeah. What's, what? Pause one second. What's the story there? Because this is kind of like, oh, look at all these one-goal games this team has won. Wow, they know how to win one-goal games. That's normally the media narrative that we spin. Mm -hmm. Oh, these guys know how to win in the playoffs. They know how to win one-goal games when the reality is you're playing with fire if every game is a one-goal game. As I would submit, you're really playing with fire if it has to be third-period comeback after third-period comeback. Eventually... Maddie, as you know, that stops. Yes, hundred um, percent. But Mason McTavish talked about it yesterday. The resiliency
2: in that group, and I mean, that's a very kind of stock answer. But we've seen it. Like the proof is in the pudding. Do you want? Do you want that to be the thing? No. You want to win games comfortably so that you don't have to be so resilient all the time. But they're a really yeah. impressive group, and I mean. You you ran down the list of, of the the years that some of these guys are having. Like, what's going to happen when they fully unleash Leo Carlson here? Like, what's going to happen when when he starts you know playing more regularly than than he has early on in the year? I I you know yeah. Greg Cronin's done a great job with this group, but kudos to the front office for the team that they've built and the prospects that they've developed and the roster that every that they've put together with their draft picks and free agent signings and it's it's a good group. Do I think this is going to continue throughout the year? I mean, I I feel like this one's probably going to come to an end, but it's a, certainly a nice story right now and and let's face it, it's been there's been some lean years in anaheim over the past four or five where you look and go oh boy are they ever going to get out of this and now not only have they gotten out of it but they look really good they're fun to watch and they kind of in a way remind me of what the buffalo sabers were last year in that i do not know what to expect night in and night out but i know it's going to be fun
1: Uh, and you know that one day mason mctavish is going to be an absolute star uh, in this game, I was yep. saying this going back to when they first brought him in. That is your next Ryan gets laughed. Different types of players, I understand that, but that is your next leader. That is your next captain. That is your next stud player that Cronin has full confidence in sending over the boards. Okay, more on the Ducks later on. Uh, I can't figure out what's wrong with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I can't figure out why all these new players have a hard time or such a hard time fitting into this team. It seems as if to me, Maddie, there's two different philosophies here. There's two things that are clashing. One, there is the team that exists right now. And by the way, Nick Robertson has been called up. Pontus Homburg gets sent down. The Maple Leafs face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Why is that important? I'll get to that in a couple of seconds. There's two competing things right now. There's a team as it exists right now, and the main guys lead the timber. Like the main guys sort of lead the tempo. They're the conductors of this team right now, and they have been for a number of years. Then as Austin Matthews, that is Mitch Marner, that is William Nylander, that is John Tavares, to some extent, is Morgan Riley as well. So those are highly skilled, highly compensated players. They play the game in one very specific way. And then all of a sudden, you introduce Tyler Bertuzzi and Ryan Reeves and Max Domi. And you also introduce John Klingberg, who's having a really, really hard time out there. And that's being very, very generous. For everybody who watched him in Anaheim and watched him in Minnesota and said, no, 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 no. There's still that old peak Dallas Stars John Klingberg in there somewhere. He just needs to be in the right environment for it to come out guess again, maybe that is just John Klingberg right now. That one that we saw in Anaheim, that one that we saw in Minnesota, maybe that's just him. But to the point about the other three, I mean, they were brought in for toughness, rudeness, aggression, hostility, like all those types of things that the Maple Leafs lacked because the reputation around the NHL, and it still stands. And you saw last week against the Boston ruins The feeling around the NHL is you can bully the Maple Leafs. You can push them around and they will not push back. That will not happen. That's why, as this question is getting asked more and more about the Toronto Maple Leafs, that even with these additions, nothing has changed when it comes to the pushback, which is bizarre considering Brendan Shanahan played a very specific way and was a tough hockey player and values that as a commodity on his team. And Brad True Living was no shrinking violet either. Um, as Brian Burke has talked about before, he challenged and fought Genoogic in a Vancouver Canucks training camp once upon a time. It might not have gone well for Brad True Living, but even just to stand up and say, yeah, I'll take on Genoogic, uh, you have to have guts to do that. So that, I, that has been addressed. But why is it, I, I can't figure out, Matt, and I'm going to give way here to Cassie in a couple of seconds. Why, why is this clash so harsh between the players that they're bringing in, which are supposed to complement the skilled players with a little bit of toughness and a little bit of edge and a little bit of bite. Why is this such a tough thing? I can't figure it out. And no one that I talk to has an answer. Maybe you do. Why is this such a tough mix right now? So I'm going to take a different
2: view on this. So they bring in these guys who are, are going to you know play tough or whatever, but they're not the leaders, right? And... And we talk about your best players and how they play and, and setting the tone for the rest of the organization. Look no further than Nathan McKinnon in Colorado, right? And how he plays the game and how mm-hmm. that team is built. And, and this is not a slight against the talent that guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have. Um, but look at, we can even go further. Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh and how he plays the game and how you know his toughness is different. Tough to play against. Uh, goes into the spots that people don't necessarily want to go to. And you can say the same about Nathan McKinnon. I wonder if that is what's going on with this Toronto Maple Leafs team. The best players set the tone and they're not doing those things and they're not built like that. And I don't fault them for that. But I wonder if that is part Mm -hmm. of the problem with the mix here. The guys who are the leaders on this team do not play that way. Therefore, nothing is going to change and they will always be you know the guys and yeah. i don't expect austin matthews to fight or mitch marner or anything but like stand up for yourself in a scrum something like that throw a punch anything i don't know but that's kind of the vibe that that is given off to me right now
1: uh, that's true. And one further thing, why I think it's important that the Toronto Maple Leafs are facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight um, is that as all of these questions are being asked and all these you know, expectations being raised about you know, what happened to, you know, what's happened to this idea that they're supposed to be standing up for each other and sticking up for each other and uh, not going gentle into any period here and not letting the Boston Bruins push them around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Tampa Bay is the best example of that. Mm-hmm. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the best example of the team that is a squad that stands up for one another. Elliott showed that highlight of the St. Louis-Tampa game from, from, uh, from a while ago, a year ago or so, where Robert Bertuso runs Vasilevsky, and everybody charges at him. Everybody. Whether you're a skilled player like Kucherov uh, or you're a, uh, a bottom six uh, player like Patrick Maroon, Stephen Steven Stamkos, like everybody drops their gloves and goes at him. Like, I think that's the kind of team that Brendan Shanahan, Brad Trilliving want to have. But it ain't there. And on full display, tonight. An, and by the way, the other thing that, uh, that I love about the Tampa Bay Lightning is sneaky dirty. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a skilled, tough, and at times really dirty hockey team. I really think that in, my, that in Brendan Shanahan's mind, that's the kind of team that he wants. That that's the type of team that he covets. You want skill? Of course you want skill can't win without skill but as the playoffs have shown us as well you can't win without that type of tampa bay lightning vegas golden knights colorado avalanche type team toughness that seems pretty obvious not there right now for the toronto maple leafs and the question becomes can it be there with this mix Okay, Cassie Campbell Pascal joining me now from uh from ESPN from Rogers Monday Night Hockey as well. Tonight we'll see the Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. Hello Cassie, how are you?
0: I am good, Jeffrey. How are you?
1: Uh I'm doing very well. Now, there's uh there's a number of markets that are How shall we say, Cassie? On fire. Vancouver's not one of them. Like Vancouver, it's like sunshine and eighteen degrees, and this is wonderful. And our hockey team is hot. And Mick Talk is getting. They're on. Yes, yes, they're hot on fire, like in a good way. But there's the others where the fire is all from the fans, and it's torches and it's pitchforks, and they're charging the castle gate, demanding change. Ottawa's like that. Toronto's like that and edmonton i mean calgary is as well though they won a game on the weekend edmonton is very much like that as well getting ahead of ourselves we look at thursday where edmonton plays san jose and if things break a certain way thursday could be a disastrous day for the edmonton oilers but really one of the questions i think we ask ourselves about tonight's matchup edmonton and vancouver is can the canucks do this three times in a row can they beat the edmonton or the way they're playing i mean it's pretty impressive can the Vancouver Canucks beat Edmonton, Cassie, for a third time?
0: You know, when they started the season with the two wins against the Oilers, I thought, okay, you know, that's that's great, that's awesome, they're playing really well, get, going out of the gate. But I didn't think it was sustainable, and I was completely wrong. I, like, I didn't see this as a playoff team at the start of the season when we have to put our rankings in and all those things. I, Rick Tockett has this group completely bought in. The top players are playing great. When you can get, sit a guy like J.T. Miller for a few shifts and get him to come back and score a goal, yep. I mean, they've just bought into his system and they're consistent. And that's been the issue with Vancouver over the past few years and part of it's injuries, of course, but consistency. And they're getting consistency from their goaltender out. And it's been really fun to watch because it hasn't been fun to watch Vancouver hockey over the last couple of years, but you can just tell that Rick Tocchet and his yeah. coaching staff defensively, they're playing better. So I, I really think they can. And, you know, you watch the Oilers on the other hand, I, I can't put my finger on what exactly is going wrong because everything is going wrong. And having said that, usually when everything is going wrong, at some point, everything is going to go right. And they have two of the best players in the league, if not the best. and, mm-hmm. And they're struggling. And that that's the thing that's really surprising there. But I, I think Vancouver, the way they're playing, there's no question they could beat Edmonton tonight. They're just so solid, and they're playing great 60-minute hockey.
1: You know, one of the things, Cassie, that Elliot and I have been talking a lot about on the podcast is uh, with regards to Vancouver, is there a team in the NHL that has their top players... All performing at the height of their powers more so than the Vancouver Canucks I mean Demko is looking like Vesna Elias Pedersen is looking like you know Art Ross slash Hart um, you mentioned JT Miller he's having an exceptional season is it possible for someone uh, to sort of you know peak at this age well JT Miller's kind of proven that for him maybe the maybe the answer is yes Brock Besser is having an outstanding season as well. You know what I mean? Like, Quinn... You didn't mention Quinn Hughes. should have mentioned him off the top. Quinn Hughes is looking like he's going to run away with the Norris Trophy here. Like, is the, can you think of another team in the NHL where all their top guys are are really all of their top guys. It's not just, you know, it says that the top guys because of the highest paid if you go to cap friendly, but also they're performing, they're competing, and they're producing. I don't think any team has a better mix of top players right now than Vancouver. Agree or disagree? Well,
0: as you're asking me this question, thank you for taking a long time to ask it because I'm racking my brain. I'm trying to think, (laughs) I'm like, okay, maybe Dallas? No, still not at that level. You know, I'm I'm trying to think of some teams that there's no one that's been at that level. And, you know, I've spoken to some of the people internally there. And and the only thing they're worried about is the consistency of this because that's been sort of the Achilles heel in the past. And they're not worried by any means, but that's maybe something they're just kind of, you know, just weary about. And they've just been so good. And all of them, you get off to the two great games that you do against the, the team in Edmonton that everyone's picked to win the Stanley Cup. And your top guys score like they did right off the hop. I mean, the confidence is just, it's it's at an all time high there. So I'm going to say, no, I don't think there is another team at this point where all the top guys are playing that way. And, you know, I think my only question is, and I'm not questioning them at all. It's just when, when adversity strikes, how does this group react? And we've seen in the past at times where it hasn't reacted very well. So, that's the only thing that I guess everyone's sort of looking at when you're looking at Vancouver, but man, they've gotten off to a great start and Rick topics pushed all the right yeah. buttons. There's no question about it.
1: Um, do you have a thought on, like, I, I look at Edmonton. I want to get to the Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning here in a second, but one final, one final close here on the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I don't know that it's the only reason, but to me, it's the big one. And I think everybody's noticed now that the goalies are hard to hit. Um, Jack Campbell's had a hard time. Uh, Stuart Skinner's had a hard time as well. Uh, I went over the old saying at the top of the show, which is, if you have a goalie, it's 70% of your team. If you don't, it's 100%. Uh, How many times have you seen a coach win a Jack Adams uh, award because the goaltender's been exceptional? Like, that's the history of that award and the net-minding position. Uh, I, I know there are problems. There are some problems in the back end. There's some problems with the bottom six. Uh, I never really worry about Connor and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, but isn't the main one, and you could talk to us about this as a player, because when your goaltender is having a poor performance, it cascades. And it affects how your blue line plays. It affects how your forwards play. It affects how your coach tries to coach around the idea that every shot is a dangerous shot. I mean, I don't know at what point the Oilers finally pull the trigger and say, we can't go on like this if this is going to be our tandem, because no matter what Matthias Ekholm, Leon, Dreisaitl, Conor McDavid, Ryan Nugent, Hopkins are able to do, it can all get undone by bad net minding. Is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. But the chances that they give up are horrendous. And, you know, high danger chances, second and third opportunities. You know, there was a shift I watched on Saturday, and I watched it over and over just to make sure that I was kind of right about it. And I I think Ron Mm -hmm. actually showed it late on Saturday night, and it was the Ryan O'Reilly 2-1 goal. And I think it was the start of the second period. He he dominates. Like, he's a winner, and he just plays that way all the time, all the time. And if I'm... If I'm Woodcroft, I'm showing my team that shift. Because the battle level is just not there at times. Like I I I get everyone's all upset at Darnell Nurse and his contract and all this how much money he makes. But he's a strong guy. He's a good skater. But his battle level is not there. And everyone to a man on that team, whether they're going in on the offensive zone or they're in the defensive zone, the battle level is not there. And the worst thing that could have happened to the Oilers was was their start. Right, Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but if I remember correctly, yeah. opening night, goalie pulled, right? And then yeah. it's a controversy yep. right from opening night. It's, it's a story right from opening night. And I, I really think Woodcroft at this point, forget whose contract is where, and I know he's probably feeling a little bit of heat from up above on who he should play in net. you got to go with your best guy here and ride him through. And it, it's, I think it's Stuart Skinner. I think Stuart Skinner should have started the season, in my opinion, just based on how it finished. But, you know, I think he's the guy that's going to give you the best chance. And for whatever reason, Jack Campbell, just his confidence is gone. And as a goaltender, it's so sad to watch because it's so hard to get back. And you know he's working behind the scenes. You know he's trying to do all the right things. But I just, at this point, we've seen a big enough sample now with him in an Oilers uniform where his confidence is just not, getting to a level where it needs to be. And I think you ride Stuart Skinner yeah. that I think you've got to pick one and stick with him through thick and thin. You know, I, I just I think that's something that Woodcock and his coaching staff really have to dive into.
1: It, it does very much sound like they're poised to give Stuart Skinner a long run here. The problem is, it's not as if he's sort of channeling the ghost of Terry Sawchuk either. Like he's not like the second <laughs> yeah. coming of, of Marty Berdoure at this point. But we'll see. Okay, so let me let me ask you about Tampa and the Toronto Maple Leafs. So here, here's what I was, as as strained as it may have may have been off the top of the show, I was wondering whether what we see with the Tampa Bay Lightning, not just by way of skill, and because the Maple Leafs have elite skill too. Uh, But by the way of team toughness and more team cohesion, like there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be, you know, uh, some types of friction between players and coach. Like we've talked about Stamkos and Cooper, et cetera, for, for a long time now. But as far as being a team that stands up for one another, Tampa does that. Would it be too much of a stretch, Cassie? I was trying to make this point off the top. Would it be too much of a stretch to say when someone like Brendan Shanahan or Brad Treliving watch the Tampa Bay Lightning, in their minds they're saying, that's the kind of team that we want. They are skilled, they are team tough, and they're a little bit dirty as well. Do you think that that's what Shanahan and Treliving envision when they think about their team?
0: Well, that's how Shanahan was as a player, right? So, that you know, yes. that's just right up his yeah. alley. And I know <laughs> through Brad Trilleving, um, you know, that's how he was trying to build Calgary. You know, big, strong defenseman in the back end, which I think, you know, is something that is very different here in Toronto. And, you know, how they ever adjust that, who knows, based on the cap and everything that's going on. I, I think a lot of teams, you, you watch the Av, you watch Vegas, you watch Tampa, like, previous Stanley Cup winners you're trying to emulate all those teams. you think the similarity between all those three teams is skill toughness good goaltending yep. uh, team awareness you know i i'm really curious how toronto comes out and plays this game tonight because it does feel like a playoff game because of the history between these two teams it's one of those in-season games early in the season yep. that you you know you just get amped up for a little bit because of the history and i'm curious with what's happened versus Boston and Brad Marchand, and then the loss to Buffalo. Like, is this the time where they finally click and we need to start having a little bit more of that nastiness in our game? And I'm curious to see how this game plays out. You know, I went back and and watched the the previous meeting between these two and, you know, Toronto comes back from being down 3-1 and and then wins in overtime. And it was a great team win early in the season, maybe their best win of the season all around. And I'm curious just how they come out tonight. And, you know, everyone I know in this, I live in Calgary, so it's a little bit different. I don't get to hear all the, the talk in Toronto all the time. But they're talking about Reeves fighting Marchand and all those types of things. You know, sometimes getting back at a team is just a big hit. You know, I look back at that Boston game and Reeves on the power play. Marchand comes in on the PK4 check. He's got the puck low. And Klingberg could have just leveled him, like could, a clean, hard hit and just chose not to. And that's a guy that just knocked out your teammate. And so it doesn't always necessarily have to be a fight. It has to be engagement. There has to be some sort of engagement. And I'm curious to see if we see a little bit more of that tonight from the Leafs. I'd like to see more of it from Mm -hmm. Domi. He's not his father, but he can be a little bit more physical, in my opinion. Um, Just be engaged in what's going on in the moment, every single moment. And I think that can make a big difference to the Leafs as a whole.
1: Okay, let me uh, settle a bet for me here, Cass. I'm going to end on this one. So Elliot and I were talking about this on the podcast, the idea of the Calgary Flames actually trading with the Edmonton Oilers. Now, we know that there are some teams that historically have not done deals with one another. We think back to Montreal and Quebec. Um, you know, it took uh, until Danny Paye for the Buffalo Sabres and the Boston Bruins, old Adams division rivals, to actually make a deal. I know Peter McNabb, but that was a that, that was a compensation uh, issue for Andre Savard. But it took until Danny Paillet, until the Boston Bruins and the Buffalo Sabres actually made a deal. And then there's a special level of hatred between Edmonton and Calgary. You live in Calgary. You understand it. You know the Edmonton market very well uh, as well. You understand the hockey vibe in Alberta is what I'm going for here, Cassie. So Elliot was wondering if... You know, whether it's Tanev or Zadorov or one of the goaltenders, if there is any way you could see the Calgary Flames throwing a lifeline to the Edmonton Oilers, or is it just too delicious if you're a Flames fan? We all know how the season's going for them as well. Just to watch Edmonton squirm. Do you think there's any way the Flames deal with Edmonton?
0: Well, are they getting Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl back? <laughs> you know, that's the only way I think that happens. Honestly, it, it would be more depth. If there was always a right price, right? There is always a right price, I think. But, you know, you think of the trade yeah. tradi- traditionally between those two teams. It ain't going to happen. Like Steve staos I love him. What a character guy. Ladislav Schmid was the one. Um, Just character sort of depth, guys. I think you could see those happening. Um, But Mm -hmm. if the price is right, I'm sure Craig Conroy would do anything. But at this point, they're the best Alberta team right now, which is a little bit shocking, no question, based on how we all predicted the start of the season to go. Um, I I don't see it happening. I really don't. First of all, you, you don't usually trade within your conference, let alone your division and this, people, you have to understand the Battle of Alberta is fierce. Like, it is fierce not only on the ice, but it is fierce in the stands. Like, these fans can't stand yeah. each other. They chirp each other all the time. It gets nasty. Um, there is something about the Battle of Alberta uh, that is, it's a whole level. It's a whole different level. It's, it's hard to describe. And I, I grew up here in Toronto. I understand. Toronto-Boston, I understand Toronto-Montreal and the history, obviously the original 16, but there is an other level of nastiness on and off the ice with the Battle yeah. of Alberta and I just don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So next time you see Elliot say Merrick's right, okay? Just do me one favour, Cass. Just say, Elliot, you're you're eating space cake on this one. Merrick's so right about this one. Calgary and Edmonton aren't going to make deals. He's, he um, always
0: knows something Cass we don't is... though, so it's tricky.
1: Yeah, I I just think that, you know, uh, I just can't see a scenario where Calgary does a deal with Edmonton. It turns Edmonton's season around. uh, They go on and win the Stanley Cup. And Craig Conroy sits there going, I just say saying as a a Calgary GM, I just helped the Edmonton Oilers win the Stanley Cup. I just can't. I just can't see it. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm with you. Sometimes Elliot has something in his hip pocket and he sort of throws those things out there like, well, what if I'm just spitballing here? No, Elliot, you're not just spitballing. You know something that you're not telling us all under the guise of, I'm just spitballing here. Great point by you. Uh, look forward to Monday Night hockey cast. Always good catching up. you be well.
0: All right. Take care. Have a good day.
1: There she is, the great Cassie Campbell-Pascal from Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. Also tonight, the Boston Bruins facing off against the Dallas Stars. The Columbus Blue Jackets will take on the Florida Panthers. Coming up in a couple of moments, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Kings. The Los Angeles Kings have demonstrated uh, to pretty much everybody... Uh, around the NHL, that they are legit and they are here to stay. They will play Wednesday against the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas just lost their first game in regulation last night to the Anaheim Ducks. Congratulations to the, uh, the Waterfowls there. Um, But the Kings are hot. The Kings are good. Quentin Byfield will start the conversation there with Jim Fox, a longtime analyst for the Los Angeles Kings, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and your favorite podcast platform. Again, Elliot Friedman kicks off Hour 2. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network
0: diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays and NFL the J.D. Bunker's podcast subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this is the Jeff Merrick show on the Sportsnet Radio Network
1: Now, I don't know about you, but uh, what I like to do at the beginning of each week is have a look at the schedule and circle two games. One game, uh, I wonder which, uh, which will give me the most amount of chaos... And that will probably end up being, depending on how things break, because we've talked about all program long, uh, Thursday's Edmonton Oilers-San Jose Sharks matchup. And the other game that I look at and try to figure out what will be is the best game of the week, which is why I have my eyeballs peeled for the upcoming Wednesday affair between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Los Angeles Kings. The Vegas story is well told, but don't look now as well. If you haven't been staying up late in the East to watch your Los Angeles Kings, shame on you. 7-2-2, 16 points, per uh, winning percentage of seven two seven, and they are a tough, tough out. They are a mix of skill and speed and a little bit of toughness as well. Uh, no one knows that better than uh, longtime Los Angeles Kings analyst Jim Fox, who joins me now. Jim, how are you?
3: Good, Jeff. Doing really good. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Uh, well, listen, the, the pleasure is mine. Very much looking forward to this Vegas-Los Angeles Kings game. I know we have a lot of hockey until we get there. Uh, but this gives us like a little bit of a break in the schedule here for the Los Angeles Kings. Gives us a little chance to kind of go... Okay, how did we get here? And we know about you know some really good performances by Kevin Fiala. He's been exceptional, and Adrian Kempe on Kopitar gives you what you would expect. Trevor Moore has been really nice. Um, you know, you look at Arthur Kaliev, who's showing he can score from distance, which is one of the hardest things to do in the NHL. But I want to start by talking about Quinton Byfield. Um, Quinton Byfield is a natural center. Uh, it's tough to find a center position right now at the Los Angeles Kings with Kopitar, Dano, and Pierre-Luc Dubois occupying those top three spots. Why has this worked now with Quinton Byfield on the left side of Kopitar and Kempe? You're there to watch all of it. We've been waiting for him to pop. It looks like the time is now. How has it worked out? Why has it worked out with Byfield on this line?
3: Well, I think it works out, first of all, because he brings enough speed to keep up with those guys. I was joking with him the other day because until uh, two games ago, uh, the NHL Edge had him as the fastest King skater in a game this season. Tempe uh, went by him, so I joked to him, you got to go by him again. And his <laughs> quickness and speed to get on pucks, very impressive. And then, Jeff, you know, when he arrives, he's a big kid. So when he gets there, yeah, he's been strong on his stick. He's been creating loose pucks. He's using his body to keep possession of that puck. And that gives the other guys enough time to get open. But I think the biggest difference this year is Quinton is now looking for his own opportunity. I think last year he'd create the same loose pucks. When he come out of the scrum, he'd be looking to pass. Now his first option is let's drive to the net. Let let them worry about me, and then other things may open up. And, And I think that's why the production has increased.
1: You know, it, it it seemed like you know, Jim. About five minutes ago, we were talking about the Los Angeles Kings and looking at them and saying, "Man, this is you know, outside of Adrian Kempe, this is the slowest team in the NHL. They're, this is a team that can't keep up with the with the NHL pace." Was there something? Uh, whether in the drafting and the pro scouting and in whatever, where the mantra became, if you can't skate, you can't play with the Los Angeles Kings. Like when they won their cups, like this was a very, you know, deliberate straight line, almost table hockey esque team possession monsters and big, strong and physical. And that's how they won two Stanley cups. Uh, And then the NHL got quicker and the Los Angeles Kings didn't adapt. Until recently, like the last few seasons, like was this something deliberate? Like all of a sudden the Kings said to themselves, we need to find more players with more foot speed. And the mantra becomes, if you can't skate, there's no room at the inn here for you with the Los Angeles Kings. Is that accurate?
3: I think that's very accurate. I think it was a completely conscious effort by the Kings to change uh, the makeup of their group. Uh, And they went towards skill and quickness and speed uh, of course, if you can get size along with that, you take it. But, uh, you know, there was, you know, for the last yeah. two or three years, the Kings were, you know, big and, mo- excuse me, they were small and mobile back on the blue line. And then they had to add a player like Gavrikov to add a little bit more of that reach, a little bit more of that size. They had Andreas Englund this summer. Just just a bigger guy. But, yeah. but you're right. You're going back three years ago. It was a stockpile. I mean, conscious effort to go after quickness. So you trade for a Trevor Moore. You know, when he spins out of a move, he's as quick and fast as anyone. Kevin Fiala, dart, in and out, back and forth, can do it that way. Even Blake Lazot, considered the fourth-line centerman on this tape, He's in and out of holes. You had that to Kempe, uh, guys like that, and all of a sudden, now you're looking at a team that is very quick. And uh, they made that decision. They felt they had to get there. Now they're there. Uh, there were moments there, Jeff, it was funny, where all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh, they're not big enough. Uh, they're, you know, well, you know what? <laughs> you don't get both. You know, you don't yeah. get both. You, you probably you have to, you know, go with one or the other. Uh, Vegas might be the exception there where they had the size and the speed together, and I think Kings are on the way to getting that.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, that that uh, I'll say man, the 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 West is always fascinating. Uh, and I'm always curious now that the Vegas Golden Knights have had this you know, wonderful start to the season, no hangover at all, after winning the Stanley Cup. Do, uh, do you think the Kings look at this upcoming game Wednesday? I can't wait for Wednesday. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but then again, I, th- I thought Saturday was going to be great with the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche and the the Vegas Golden Knights took care of Colorado to the tune of of, of seven nothing. Um, but how much do you think a team like the Los Angeles Kings use will use Wednesday's game as a way to judge and and figure out where they're at uh, in their season and you know who they have to measure up against? How, how important is this game on Wednesday?
3: Yeah, it's it is it is still that point where it is a test and it is a measurement stick. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I mean, to start the season, though, Jeff, I mean the Kings opened up at home against Colorado. Then Carolina came in. A games later, Boston comes in. So, you know, they went on the yeah. – they're playing Vegas. It's, they, they know these guys, uh, but their schedule at home has been very difficult. So they had a lot of measuring sticks so far. Uh, when they really did settle in, it was on this last road trip. You know, they're undefeated so far on the road. So it's just one of those things where you, stu- you, you still have to look up at this defending Stanley Cup champion as a test. And to be honest, you know, mm-hmm. bringing in uh, Pierre Dubois, that was Vegas is the reason the Kings did that, because of the strength and depth that Vegas has down the middle. Uh, you know, Even Edmund, to a certain extent, with Dreissel and McDavid, when they played them separate, uh, the Kings felt they needed to upgrade depth at center. They go and get Dubois. Now they have the balance, and that's the reason that they're going to look like a game against Vegas. As now we've added these guys, we've added these pieces, how do we measure up?
1: You know, this is, um, this is a team that's loaded with stars, as we know, and, you know, Drew Doughty and, and Kopitar, and uh, you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kevin Fiala is, is certainly well-known. Who, in your mind, and maybe you've already said it in Trevor Moore, I don't want to bias the jury here, Jim, but um, who, who's the unsung player on this team right now?
3: Yeah, you know, if you go underrated, still under the radar, I think as far as complete player, I don't think Adrian Kempe gets enough credit. Because when you go back to last year's playoff series against Edmonton, there was no doubt in anyone's mind, game one, Edmonton targeted Kempik. They were going, and he did not back down an inch. He continued to score. He continued to drive to the net. He continued to throw hits. He was a one, you know, just complete, complete player. So, you know, I know he had 41 last year, so that gains attention and people start talking about it. But, but I think yeah. about the entire game, you know, the complete package game, I think Adrian still doesn't get enough credit that way. Uh, you know, underrated if you're going to go way down. Trevor Moore fits that, but he does play in the top six with the Kings. I would go as far as to, say, Carl Grundstrom, you know, a four-check guy, a mm. fourth-line guy, make contact on the four-check, but a really nice set of hands when he gets the opportunity. And I think that's, you know, that's the biggest change now, right? Your fourth-line guys, they can shoot the puck as good as your first line. Yep. I mean, it's, that's just the way it is yeah. right now with skill. So I would put uh, Carl in that, that area right there.
1: You know, I, I it's interesting. I want to ask you about one player specifically that uh, people may not know about casual hockey fans. I remember having a conversation with someone uh, with the Kings and I said, which, which of your younger, youngest hockey players, like, you know, prospects are you most excited about? And I expected the answer to be Brent Clark. I really did. And instead, this person zipped around and said, you're going to love Alex Laferriere." you're going to love, love, love this guy. And every time I watch the Los Angeles Kings, I mean, he's, he's a hurricane out there. Uh, he's not the biggest guy by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I can't get my eyes off of Alex LaFerriere. Your, your thoughts on this young hockey player who, you know, we can all recall the first fight with, uh, you know, with the family cheering in the stands, <laughs> uh, which, was, which was quite the visual. Your, uh, your thoughts on this young man.
3: Well, if you don't follow hockey that much, the phrase I'm going to use may go over your head. If you do know hockey, the phrase I'm going to use, I think you'll get it. He looks like a hockey player. Uh, He just seems to fit. He seems to understand. Uh, I'll give you an in-depth, like his spatial awareness is exceptional for a young player, meaning he knows how far the guy is behind him, chasing him so he knows how fast he has to carry the puck up the ice. He knows how how far the gap in front of him is, so he knows how to slow down. He knows how to speed it up or slow it down depending on where his teammates are. He knows where to go to get open for his teammates, and he can wait long enough for his teammates to get open. So I, I think he really has a good feel for the game. He does understand angles on the back check when he's coming back. He's fit into a King system, which can be pretty... It's very detailed, and it can be a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more complicated than most systems he's fit in right there Mm -hmm. i I, you know on the line he's playing with with dubois and fiala i think that group as a unit is still trying to figure things out because you know kevin fiala man he demands that puck and he has it all the time so you you got to find ways to get open the one thing you like about leferriere jeff is this he doesn't defer if he's open he shoots he doesn't even as a young player a rookie coming in playing with two veteran guys who have scored at this level he doesn't so, you know, you're going to keep watching him, right? College kid. So as the season goes along, you know, yeah. how is the schedule? I talked to him the other day and he said, you know what? In college, I played a whole bunch of time and you get out there and every once in a while you can conserve energy. He said at the NHL level, no way. Every shift, hundred percent top speed. You got to be ready. So he's making those adjustments. I think there's going to be a learning curve, but as far as a learning curve for hockey IQ overall, he doesn't need it. He's there
1: okay let me ask you one final question here and maybe the answer is neither because they'll split the votes but you know we're now in a patrice bergeron less nhl so the selkie trophy is wide open and la always has two candidates uh in deno and kopitar um they're always on ballots and rightfully so um we've seen kopitar win uh the selkie before uh how much does that matter to these two and if you if you are handicapping it maybe it's like this is you know Sophie's choice here in some regards if you were handicapping it who would the sulky go to if it was awarded exclusively to a Los Angeles Kings player
3: yeah you know I'd, I'd have to go with Kopitar I, I would just have to go there I think that you know both of the guys you mentioned uh, depending on the game depending on the situation depending on you know, which face-off circle the face-offs being taken who's gonna be used all those types of things but you know we, we played, we're only 10, 11 games into the season here. And in two games, we played Rick Bonus in Winnipeg uh, and DJ Smith in Ottawa. Both guys went out of their way to say, Andre Kopitar is, you know, the perfect player. He, he is the guy that we take our young players and watch clips of him to figure out what's happening on the ice. And I think that's what he is. He is the human coach's video. I mean, he is the guy that you just look at his mm. entire game and figure it out. And and Jeff, if I can't just straight for like now, his career numbers with Kopitar, you know, he's the only player ever to play with two teammates for a thousand games or more with Dowdy and Dustin Brown. When you start looking at, you know, how many times he's led the Kings in scoring his franchise, he's getting it to Gordie Howe oh, yeah, yeah. type of numbers. And that is extremely impressive. And then at his advanced age right now, his numbers are not dropping, and he's still being put in situations. You know what? He just the, the, he does not cheat the game. He is rarely, if ever, on the wrong side of the puck. He won't leave the zone without the puck. Yep. So if you're talking Selke, he's my guy.
1: Uh, Hall of Fame awaits one day, as you well know, Jim. The Hall of Fame awaits. Uh, thanks, as always, for this. I know we have all eyes on Wednesday in this matchup between the Los Angeles Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, thanks for, uh, for spotlighting the LA Kings. Much appreciated, Jim.
3: All right, Jeff, my pleasure. Anytime, thank you.
1: There is the great Jim Fox, a uh, longtime analyst for the Los Angeles Kings, who are legit good, folks. Um, I know there's a lot of people that have consternations about the net minding, but Cam Talbot's played really good. Uh, Phoenix Copley, on the other hand, it's early. Uh, time now for, sir, for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Uh, Matt Marchese, first of all, you know, Jim Fox talked about Alex Lafarriere looking like a hockey player. Whenever I hear looks like a hockey player, you know who I what what player's visual always jumps to my mind? <laughs> you you might you haven't heard this one for a long time. Mike Kostka. Like whenever I'd look yeah. at Mike Kostka, I'd say that guy looks like a hockey player. What was the, the shaggy growth on the chin and the, hair. and the and the hockey feathers. Yeah, the hair was yeah. the big one. Yeah, Like that guy looked like a hockey player. Am I on base, off base? You have a better example. When Foxy was talking about, you know, Alex Zafariar looks like a hockey player, I think of him. Anyway, what game are you looking at tonight? Uh, Lightning
2: at Maple Leafs. Puck line is Maple Leafs minus one and a half. Road team is five and oh in the last five. Lightning are one and five in the last six meetings. And the over is 14, five and one in the last Mm. 20
1: meetings. You can watch this one on Sportsnet. I really do wonder about toughness. And I wonder about the challenge. And I wonder about the... I wonder about the example that is Tampa versus the reality that is Toronto, where I can't help but look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and saying, that's what Toronto wants to be. Do they have the right pieces to get there? Sure, Toronto knocked off Tampa last year in the playoffs, but what does that mean now? And everything is being questioned by the Maple Leafs now, which means it's probably the wrong time for a team like Tampa to come to town. As Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning, Edmonton and Vancouver, two juicy ones tonight.
0: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, welcome back to the program, Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Another player from the Blackhawks, Brad Aldrich Scandal of the uh, 2010 Chicago Blackhawks squad has now sued the team for sexual assaults. Uh, referred to as Black Ace One in the Jenner and Block report, this player alleges that Aldrick, quote, groomed, harassed, threatened, and assaulted him. And subsequently, the club hushed it up. Phil Thompson from the Chicago Tribune uh, had this story yesterday. There was a press conference at the lawyer's office today. We'll get Phil uh, to weigh in on all of it. Phil Thompson joins me now. Phil, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you? I'm fine. How are you do? How are you doing? Thank you. Uh, I'm doing great. Um, uh, okay, so why now seems to be one of the questions, and I know that was one of the questions that was addressed at the uh, the lawyers' meeting today. Um, if you can, for our listeners slash viewers, uh, can you sort of rewind to your story yesterday, and then what we saw and heard today at uh, at Black Ace One's lawyer's office this morning?
4: Okay, so. It- it all stems from uh, the 2010 season and the Black Aces roster and a couple of the Black Aces. One who we know now is Kyle Beach. Yep. Uh, accused uh, Brad Altrich, the uh, video coach, of uh, you know kind of grooming, uh, in some cases, sexual assault, uh, threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all alleged in Kyle Beach's um, original uh, lawsuit that takes us to uh, 2021 when in May of, t- of that year um, he filed a lawsuit. Now at that time the Blackhawks initially said the claim didn't have merit but they hired an independent investigator uh, which produced what we now know as the Jenner and Report that came out that October. Uh, those independent findings found that uh, senior management met uh during the playoffs uh you know in San Jose right before the uh, Hawks went on uh to play the Flyers and win the cup but during that time they opted uh not to go forward uh with the allegations that they knew of uh until after the cup was won uh in June about a week after and then Aldrich was offered an opportunity to resign. Uh, he took it. He was given a bonus, um, you know, name placed on the cup, given a ring, allowed to take the cup to his hometown. A lot of that, you know, we all kind of know. So yeah. Yeah. ultimately uh, the, the Hawks settled with Beach. Now this process is kind of wound through. Uh, today his lawyer said that, uh, that this John Doe, uh, Who is known in the Jenner and Block Report as Black Ace One uh, took inspiration from Cal Beach's whole process coming out uh, with these allegations, putting a face to it, uh, and then ultimately reaching the settlement with the Blackhawks. Um, one of the things that the lawyers said addressing the elephant in the room uh, he said, you know, people say, oh, this is a money grab. It's not. And then he went on to. Uh, relay some of the things that I just said about Beach and about uh, wanting to kind of get some kind of measure of closure himself.
1: Hi, one of the things that I, I, I can't help but wondering through all of this is um, what we all understand now about what sexual assaults really is. And I, I wonder if if part of this, Philip, is what was once considered not to be sexual assault as we've gone through in this example and countless others you know with kyle beach and and brad Aldrich. is there a sense now that what we may not have or black ace number one would not have considered sexual assault back in 2010 upon further reflection and understanding of what sexual assault actually is Maybe this person has come to an understanding that this was, in fact, sexual assault. Are we are we are we wondering about definitions here and and changing definitions of what sexual assault actually is?
4: No, you, I mean you raise a good point, Jeff. Uh, it, you know, while the legal definitions uh, may not have changed or changed appreciably, I think the public's understanding of uh, what is sexual assault. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, it's males, you know, let's be frank, you know, males don't generally think about this or uh, tend to think about this. Now, I'm not suggesting Mm -hmm. that lends any credence to his claims. Uh, You know, that will be settled uh, ultimately in court or through a settlement. But uh, if we're just generally speaking of uh, the public's acceptance of these kind of things, I think you're absolutely right.
1: Um, anything stand out for you, um, other than this is not a, a cash grab from the from the lawyers meeting this morning?
4: Yes, uh, one of the things I asked is because you know the, the Blackhawks have uh, done uh, a significant amount of work to kind of uh, rebuild their structure for kind of uh, monitoring and processing, uh, you know their, how they care for prospects under their under their care and you know a lot of that has been led by danny works uh who is now ceo and chairman kind of representing a new generation from what we had under rocky now they put out a statement saying you know we've we've gone through the entire organization how we look at this thing and you know do the entire infrastructure to address uh problems like these but you know, as lawyers tend to do, and said, "Well, you really didn't address our particular client, or apologize, or empathize with him." Now we'll see how the mm-hmm. how or if the Blackhawks respond to that. I mean, it's kind of something that you'd expect from a firm that's levying a, a claim against uh, an organization. Uh, so, you know, take that for for what it is.
1: I, I listen. I, I really think that's important here. I, I really think this is this is a crucial moment for the Chicago Blackhawks because uh, listen, we, we all saw how, just to, to be blunt, Philip, like we all saw how Rocky words behaved around all of this, right? And you know, at, yeah. at times it was you know not just offensive but disgusting. Um, and you know this is you know this is now Danny in charge and we've heard a lot about you know we wake up every day and try to do the right thing like this is like we always talk about moments where you can redefine yourself or you can redefine your organization and generally I'm not sure about you but I always look at these things skeptically when it comes to sports organizations Um, and historically that's proven to be the accurate way to look at things um but i mean this is i mean you know that market you know that organization you know this situation both with kyle beach and 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 now with um uh with black ace number one i mean this is correct me if i'm wrong this is a mate this could be a major turning point for the chicago blackhawks here I'm, i mean i am curious You know which direction they go do they lean in more towards the progressive thinking we're gonna default to doing the right thing or do they go right back to you know let's you know circle the organization you know protect the hive you know deny 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 accuse 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 Um, I'm not sure which way this organization goes do you have a have a sense of which way the wind is blowing on this one from the Hawks point of view well, I
4: can't speak to how they'll treat this particular claim. So let me preface anything I say with that that that's going to be an internal thing, and not all of that they're going to share with me. But I have talked to Danny Works extensively, as has you know other people like Mark Lazarus, as the Athletic about his feelings about these kind of subjects, even before uh, the you know the Kyle Beach thing became a thing. Uh, he also has been working with the president of business operations, Jamie Faulkner, and they've kind of been a tandem with revolutionizing uh, how uh, they do hockey, uh, you know, on the ice, you know, a, as a business operation, you know, from a fan experience standpoint, just they, they, you know, Jamie Faulkner came in and just essentially want to kind of clean house of, of a lot of old processes, the way they used to do things under McDonough, um, and, and that's yep. culturally culturally especially. So when the beach thing happened, you'll notice like throughout the organization, that there aren't a lot of carryovers from the McDonough regime. Let's yes. put it that way, yep. and and that's not an accident. So, you know, <laughs> take that for what that's take that for what that's worth. Yeah. We'll see, you know. So as, me, as the lawyers alluded yeah. to. We'll, we'll see how they they handle big moments like this. That's the that's the uh, proof. That's the test.
1: The, the this is an absolute huge one. Um, let, let me end, let me end on this one, and and for, it, it'll. I mean, I'm asking you essentially to, to speculate because I don't I don't think any of us know here. Um, but what's next? Like, how how do you see this progressing? I mean, the the Kyle Beach was was set, uh, situation. Um, with the Hawks was settled, you know, confidentially. Um, How do you, do you have any idea what the sort of next dominoes to fall here, what the next steps are, what you expect next in this story?
4: Well, I expect the Hawks to do some sort of investigation. Now, it's one of the things that it's funny to get a a call from them, (laughs) you know, the As we were on the air. (laughs) So I'll have to call them back. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I do need to ask them is, will you start a new investigation like you did with Beach, or will you review, do kind of a deeper dive into the Jenner and Block findings and perhaps, you know, consult Reed to to take a closer look at this before you um, reach out to his attorney's um, you know, to John Doe's attorneys if they decide to make that move. I, I can't say for sure uh what they're gonna do at this point. But that seems like a logical next step.
1: Right. Um so this story uh still in its infancy. Uh, I think everybody including yourself just has uh, a lot of questions. We'll see where this one heads. Um very uh glad that you're on this. You're you're one of the best, Philip. That's not exactly a secret. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise today and um and talking about it as 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 much as we know uh at this point. We'll we'll see where the story heads. Philip, thanks so much for for stopping by. Much appreciated.
4: Oh, no problem. Thank you very much for
1: having me. Philip Thompson from the Chicago Tribune. Um, The story of, as uh, mentioned in the Jenner and Block report around Cal Beach and Brad Aldrich, um, black ace number one. The latest John Doe in this scandal uh, has sued the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, alleging sexual assault uh, by Brad Aldrich going back to 2010. Uh, Groomed, harassed, threatened, and assaulted him. Again, I talk about moments where you can chart a new course for your organization, uh, a different way to behave, a different way to uh, relate to people and accusations like this, we'll see. You know, uh, back in 2010, we can all recall who who lived through it. This was the uh, uh, the rejuvenation of the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, the old 1960s theme, "Here Come the Hawks," was uh, was was played every time you every time you mentioned the Chicago Blackhawks. Chelsea Dagger uh, became a hit uh, at the rink every time they scored. Um, but as we found out, essentially nothing changed with how they handled things like sexual assault internally. Uh, It was still a very traditional way to um, confront that, and they were dragged kicking and screaming into the light. Um, And now McDonough, John McDonough and his regime are are out. Um, Stan Bowman is out. Joel Quenville is out. Um, Rocky Wertz is no longer with us. Uh, Danny Wertz has taken over the operation of the Chicago Blackhawks. We will see... Uh, if anything different occurs in this situation, if there is an independent investigation conducted by the Chicago Blackhawks and where this ultimately leads. Um, but as much as the Chicago Blackhawks want to be done with 2010 and and the Brad Aldrich uh, situation with various players, uh, 2010 is still not done with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, a couple of moments left in the program, and again, we'll we'll see where this one uh, we'll see where this one heads. Uh, Phil Thompson was our guest from the Chicago Tribune. Um, back to hockey on the ice, and this is going to be a crucial week, Maddie, for a number of teams. Perhaps none more so than the Edmonton Oilers. I know it's a big one for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know it's a big one for the Ottawa Senators. Um, but there's a lot of hot spots out there right now. If you can isolate one or two areas that you're curious about heading into this week and Edmonton is the obvious one, uh, but where, which, which direction are you looking at here?
2: It's funny. The, remember when we talked about how hot things were in Calgary and now it's like, Oh, by the way, uh, that team a little <laughs> bit North of there. Yeah. They're having some issues. Uh, no, yeah. for me, for me, it's Ottawa, it's too. Ottawa. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Brady Kachuk thing because He definitely took, tried to take some heat off. Deliberate. Yeah. And, and what that, and what that says is, Brady Kachuk, if he speaks on behalf of most of that locker room and how they feel about playing for DJ Smith. So I wonder how things change there. I mean, they're, they're not getting much in the way of goaltending, which I think we expected was going to be a little bit better with the Corpus Allo and Forsberg tandem. And I know Corpus Allo got yanked yeah. real quick the other day. But Ottawa, for yeah. me, is one that, with everything that's gone on off the ice with this group, and then, you know, with... A lot of people had high expectations for Ottawa this season. I, being one of them, I thought that they were a playoff team based on the roster that I saw. I said, if they could get any goaltending... From that tandem, they would be in good shape. And yeah. they're really flailing right now. And, you know, to be... I know the Atlantic division maybe is, is pretty tough, but to be last in that division when you had playoff aspirations, like, we are inching closer and closer to that American Thanksgiving mark. And if they don't pick it up soon, it's going to be a real interesting year in Ottawa.
1: Um, one thing we haven't mentioned, and this is, this is an interesting story, and we'll, we'll see where this heads. Yaroslav Halak... He had a name played up in with the dressing the room. PTO. Jeff. Well, we'll we'll see where this one. I mean, it, it does speak to you know the injury situation um, with the with the um, uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes net binders. Like, what what do we talk about? You know, with the Carolina Hurricanes goaltenders. You know, they're good as long as they're healthy. The problem with the Carolina Hurricanes goaltenders is you know Frederick Anderson and Antti Niemi. They can't get the hospital. Antti Ranta. Antti Ranta. I think it's a comment on that. What's that? You said Antti Niemi. Antti Ranta. You know why? It's because I got 2010 on my mind. That's so <laughs> yeah. funny because I was just talking about the 2010 yeah. Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I, think I got 2010 on my mind. So, wow. Is that a senior moment? What is that? What mm-hmm. is that that I'm confusing now for 2010? Because I just talked about the Blackhawks in 2010. Well, you're making me um, feel old because I was 13 years, years ago. Anderson. Oh, geez. I know. Um, it's a comment on that. But this is one thing that was, I don't know, how shall we say, entirely predictable? Yes. 100%. And for Yaroslav Halak, like, does he want to make like a complete tour of the Metropolitan Division?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is he just like trying to play on every single team in the Metropolitan right now? He's collecting stamps on that passport, pal. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, great stuff, Maddie. Look at you. How's the football show going? Uh, it's wonderful. We love it. Everybody loves it. We're all happy. It's great.
2: How you like the time slot? Uh, I like the new one a lot better. I'll tell you that much.
1: <laughs> I can't it wait. To... It's easier for your commute, too. Yeah. Enjoy. There and back, hopefully. Amen. Uh, great job. Matt Marchese, supervising producer. Thanks to David Siss, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, all of our guests as well. Cassie Campbell, Pascal. Don't forget Rogers' Monday Night Hockey tonight. It is the Bolts and the Maple Leafs, the Oilers facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Jim Fox filled us in on the excellent Los Angeles Kings. Freed stopped by uh, for his latest uh, tour around the NHL and Philip Thompson from the Chicago Tribune on the latest lawsuit going back to 2010. Uh, Merrick's show back tomorrow across the Sportsnet Radio Network. That's it for me today. Back tomorrow, 22 hours later. See ya.